0: Good morning, church family. Do you feel God's presence today? Man, when I was just worshiping earlier, I felt the presence of God. Well, as Pastor Stan said, we're in the book of Revelation now. And it's been awesome to see Jesus in every book, to see Jesus through every book. But the Bible points to the return and the coming of Jesus. Today, we're going to be in Revelation four through 18. And this is where we see the judgments of Jesus and of God happen during the time of a tribulation. And we're, I'm going to be unpacking this and talking about this today. How many of you have enjoyed this series? Hasn't this been amazing? This has been so good. And I believe it ends next week. Pastor Stan's going to talk about like the return of Christ and Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything in between, because this is all about Jesus' Christ. Well, today we're in the book of Revelation, and I just want to ask you, whenever I say the word revelation, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Is it the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Is it the Antichrist? Is it 666? Or is it the return of Jesus or God in his glory? People have an emotional reaction to the book of Revelation. Some say it's scary. Others say it's confusing. But the truth is, is Revelation is one of the books people wanna hear preached on, but it's one of the books most pastors avoid talking about because it's difficult to to wrap your brain around it. And it's perhaps the least understood book in the entire Bible. My aim today is to make this book understandable, to make it palatable, and to make it enjoyable. Well, to start off the background of the book of Revelation, it was written in 95 AD. It was written in a time period where Christians were being persecuted for their faith. They were being martyred for their faith. They were being murdered for believing in the resurrection and the life that they could find in Jesus Christ. It was a terrible time. Many of the followers and disciples of Jesus um, have been murdered or martyred by this time. And we see here in Revelation that John, the disciple of Jesus, John, the one who saw the resurrected Jesus, John, the one who laid his head on Jesus, the John that talks about Love all throughout the Gospels that John um, had just been persecuted and he was supposed to die, but he didn't. So they cast him onto an island named Patmos for him to suffer and live out the rest of his life. And while on this island, John gets this revelation of who God is, of who Je- John's revelation is who Jesus Christ is, that he was and he is and he is to come. This is the book that we're diving into today today the book of revelation the book of revelation it is absolutely amazing we see incredible things happen and when I talk about revelation maybe some of you think of the rapture how many of you think of the rapture when I say like the word revelation you think of the rapture like that is when we're going to be taken up and to be with God and I want to share with you my rapture story this morning can I share with you a story this morning is that good So this story is way back when I was a kid. Um, I'd woke up from a nap. True story, 100% true story. I woke up from a nap and uh, I couldn't, I was a kid. I was like six, seven, five years old. I was young. I couldn't find my parents, and I got scared. Um, I couldn't find them anywhere. I looked in the bathroom, looked in the kitchen, looked in like the bedroom, looked in everywhere, the living room, looked everywhere, and then I looked outside, and their cars were in the driveway, and I thought as a young five-year-old kid, I thought the rapture has happened, and I'm alone to fend for myself all the days of my life. I started like running around the house looking for like my parents' clothes, like just to find like a pile of clothes somewhere because you know they poofed up and they leave their clothes. I couldn't find clothes anywhere. And I began to weep in the living room. Totally true story. I began to weep in the living room and then my mom and my dad began to walk up the stairs. They were outside in the backyard doing some some yard work. And I remember I ran up to my mom, I'll never forget it. I ran up to my mom and I grabbed her legs and they were I was hysterical. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And my dad picked me up, he put me on his knee. We sat down on the couch. And my dad, I told my dad, I said, I thought I was going to be alone forever. I thought Jesus left me. I thought you left me. I thought I was going to be alone forever. My dad told me right there, he said, if you wanna know for sure that you'll never be alone, you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus. And as a five-year-old kid, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ because I thought the rapture had happened and I got left by myself. It was my revelation of who Jesus was and what Jesus does. And John had a revelation and John's revelation was who Jesus is. You see, when we read the Bible, we try to interpret it, but at best, the Bible is meant to be not interpreted. interpreted so much, but it's meant to be revealed to us. And John, when he writes the book of Revelation, he focuses on the who and the why. He focuses on the who is this about and why is he doing what he's doing. Whenever we read the book of Revelation, we focus on the how and the when. We want to know how is this going to happen and when is this going to happen. Our concerns are not John's concerns. John's concerns were the who is this about and why is he doing what he's doing. We want to know the how and the when of this book. But we have to keep this in mind as we dive into this book that John is talking about the who and the why. And I'm going to pick up right where Pastor left off last week with his seven letters to the churches. John goes on, he has a vision and we see John gaze into the throne room of God. It's an amazing picture. We see Jesus on a throne. That's our first point today. And it's a majestic picture. There's emeralds and we see a lamb that was slain, slain. And then really, uh, he begins to unfold and unpack this in Revelation 4, 8, says this, if you're following along, it says, each of the four living creatures, they had six wings and they were covered uh, with eyes all around and even under the wings. And if you read the book of Daniel, and if you read the book of Ezekiel, you'll see many parallels of what happens in Revelation and what John writes and what happened in Daniel and Ezekiel. Really, John's rewriting some of the things, uh, or or re-seeing in a vision, some of the things that Daniel and Ezekiel. Both seen. And then we see that day and night these creatures never stop saying, and this is the song that they never stop saying. They say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and And is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and and who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders, they all fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. It's an amazing picture. And they say this to him, you are worthy to, oh, oh Lord, to receive. Look at this, glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. It's an amazing picture to see what John's seen that he's seen the throne room of God and what is happening in this moment. And it reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians that through him, that is through Jesus Christ, that is in him, all things were created by him and for him. And in Jesus, all things hold together. It's amazing. This is, is the epicenter of our text today. It's the starting point of our text today that Jesus is seated on the throne, the Lamb slain and the angels, the living creatures and the elders are giving him praise. It's incredible. And in Revelation 5, we see give it up. God is amazing. Like I don't have to preach. It's just the word. It's really just it's just the word. In Revelation one, we see that there's this scroll that's introduced into the picture. And if you don't understand what this scroll means, the rest of Revelations may not make much sense to you. And John begins, actually, he begins to weep over this scroll because no one could open this scroll. It couldn't be opened. And you know, my young Christian self, I always thought like, it's just a scroll, just open it. Like anybody can open a book, anybody can open a scroll. But John begins to weep because no one could open this scroll. And the reason why no one could open and it was because this scroll had seven seals on it. And, and the scroll is very important. One, because it has writing on the inside, but also the outside. We, we can see that. John says that. But this, um, this scroll has seven seals. And in that day and age, whenever any scroll had seven seals on it, it represented a will. It represented a deed. It represented a testament. That's what it represented. Matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, when, whenever they sealed a scroll seven times, it served as insurance that the will could not be read until the appointed time that it was supposed to be read. It was insurance. So the scroll in chapter five is essentially God's will and testament to the earth. In Psalms 2.8, we see that God promises his son. You can read it. He promises his, to give his son the nations as an inheritance. I'll put it as plain as I can. Someone needs to come forward and take the scroll. Someone needs to come forward and take the scroll and claim deed to the world. And there is no one that could do it. Revelation makes it clear that no one could open the scroll. John says no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open this scroll, to take the inheritance of the earth as its own. But John sees this. He sees the lion that is from the tribe of Judah the root of David's offspring, the one who overcame. He was the one that could open the scroll and it seals. It's amazing. In verses six and seven, we see that the glorified God, full of power and full of wisdom and full of the spirit, that he steps forward from the midst of the living creatures and the elders and the angels in heaven, and he takes the scroll from God's hands. It's incredible. And then then this is a monumental moment, man, that John is talking about as Jesus, Jesus takes the scroll. It's an incredible moment, so much so that an explosion of worship happens in the heavenlies, that an explosion of worship begins to take place. And they begin to say, You alone are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Listen, Christ is is the only one worthy to own this world because he was the lamb that was slain and rose again from the grave to, to and to come back and claim what is rightfully his. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. And in Revelation 5 verses 11 and 13, we see John says this. He says, then I looked and I heard many voices of angels, thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands upon ten thousands. And they were, they, They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and, and in a loud voice, not in a quiet voice, not in a soft voice, but in a loud shout. They began to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and strength and glory and praise. This is what we're supposed to do. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying, this is what they were saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be praised and honor and glorified glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is the song of creation that we all get to be a part of one day, sometime, at one time. This is why worship is so important. This is why I cannot be quiet in worship. This is why I lift my hands in worship. This is why I lift my voice in worship because Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. That's a lot. And then we see Jesus in judgment. The spirit takes John to a new place. And we have to understand and know that the first time we see Jesus in the gospels, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came in peace with the intention of redeeming all of God's people. The second time that Jesus comes will be much different than the first. Will Be much different than the first. The first time Jesus came, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to proclaim peace. The next time that he comes, he'll come riding in a white horse to wage war during his second coming but we know today that Jesus is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forevermore. And it's the same Jesus that we see in the gospels that we see in Revelation, but his intent and his purpose in coming to our world is different. Because in the gospels, he came to seek and save, and he came to save, and then in Revelation, he comes to judge. And listen, I know the mercies of God And the justice of God and the judgment of God may seem like two incompatible things, two things that don't really mix. But think of it this way. On one hand, God will bring righteous judgment to the world and his wrath will be poured out on those who refuse to trust in his saving grace. And on the other hand, he's merciful and compassionate towards humanity, not wanting anyone to perish. God is unique in that, He is both full of mercy and grace, but also judgment and justice. Because of sin, we all deserve to die. Each and every one of us deserve eternal separation from God. It's what we deserve. It's what we deserve. However, Jesus, he paid the penalty of sin. He hung on a cross and glorified a merciful God. And he was, the perfect, uh, he was the perfect sacrifice so that we could be saved. And the cross holds proof that God is both just, but He's also merciful because His wrath was poured out on His Son, but His mercy and His grace and His salvation was offered to us. And standing, we are today in 2022 in Christian Life Center, we are standing in the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God. What scholars and theologians call the period that we live in in today, they call it the grace period. It's the grace period where we can experience the blessings and the grace and the compassion that God gives everyone. However, justice must be served And after John gives us this picture of a throne room, he's taken to another place and he begins to see um, the judgment of God take place between Revelation 5 and Revelation 18. Now I'm going to do a flyover of this and these 21 judgments that I'm going to talk about here in the next few minutes happens during a seven year time period called the tribulation. You're like, what's the tribulation? Well, the tribulation happens after the rapture. What's the rapture? Well, the rapture is when Christ calls us all to be with him in the clouds. He comes, he blows the trumpet, and those who love God, who call on the name of God now, those who are saved, will be taken up in the clouds to be with Jesus forever. It's gonna be amazing. But for those who don't know God, our family members, our friends, our community, those we see every day that don't know God, they're gonna be stuck here on earth. And there's a seven year tribulation period where God begins to judge the earth. Because when sin entered into the world, it didn't just enter into the human heart, it entered into our entire world. It entered into every facet of our earth and our earth must be judged, our world must be judged all the way through from the sea to the animals to the people The world must be judged one day because God is just just and perfect in who he is and in what he does and what he has been called to do. And we begin to see these these judgments take place over that seven year tribulation period. It's called a, a tribulation and it's not like, it's not all horrible but the last half of the tribulation, it is plagues, it is judgment upon the earth, it's wild. We're gonna go through that, but before I do, I just wanna read a picture of what John said in his gospel because he gives us a picture of how God comes to save, and he's repeating what Jesus says. Jesus said, if I go prepare a place for you, that's you and me, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be there also. I don't know about you, but when that trumpet blows, I'm getting out of here. I am getting out of here. And John sees this scroll with the seven seals on it. He begins to see the one holding the scroll begins to take each seal off of the scroll. And as each seal is taken off, a judgment happens upon the earth. And we see as the first four seals are taken off, we see that the four horsemen of the apocalypse come and just like terrorize the earth. These horsemen are not, are not nice horses. They are like bad horsemen. The first horse that we see is a white horse. And the white horse basically comes to imitate Christ. He comes to bring religious deception amongst everybody that's there. Um, the next horse is a red horse, and he comes waging a great, uh, great horseman. Uh, he comes waging a great, um, a great sword, and he comes to, to wage war upon the earth. Not just war that we see today, but intense war. It speaks of rage. And the next horse we see is the black horse, and the black horse represents famine. Not just hunger, literally, but famine of the soul. And then the final horse that we see is a pale horse and it represents pestilence, which is disease and epidemics and pandemic and death. Now remember, we're not here during this time. God calls us home to be with him. This is God judging the earth. And as the fifth and sixth seals are broken, we see the death of the saints. We see a massive earthquake. And as the seventh seal is broken, we see seven trumpets. You're like, oh, that's interesting, seven trumpets. Well, there, there are these seven angels that have seven trumpets. And as each trumpet is blown, another judgment happens upon the earth. These judgments include fire that destroys plants. We have um, hell storms and destruction, uh, destruction of sea life, of lakes and rivers, the darkening of the sun the darkening of the moon we see locusts that come and torture people we see a demonic army that raises up and kills one third of all people and then at the end there's these seven angels that now have seven bowls that is more wrath that god is pouring out upon his people and it's horrible it's terrible what's happening to our earth but remember we're not here We're taken up to be with God. This is God's judgment upon the earth because of the sin that is in our world. And in between the trumpet judgment and what we call the bowls judgment, these golden bowls that are poured out as God's wrath upon the earth, we see this creature, this person introduced, which is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist comes to deceive He comes to deceive our world. He raises up in political power. He's a political leader. Um, John gives vivid details of who the Antichrist is. He says that he's a beast that wages war against the people of God. John even says that the Antichrist is accompanied by another evil companion called the false prophet. And the false prophet performs all of these great miracles, which just give credibility to the Antichrist. Matter of fact, the false prophet builds a monument and people begin to worship The beast and the false prophet. Now, at this point of the tribulation, the world is just overran by demonic um, oppression. You think it's bad now? You do not want to be here during the time of the tribulation. John even says that people can't buy or sell things unless they take the mark of the beast. We call that 666. This is why. When I'm at Chick-fil-A, if my order comes out to $6.66, I get another chicken strip every time. This is why when I'm at Target, if my order comes out to be $666, I don't care how many cents it is, I'm buying a piece of bubble gum because I don't want to deal with 666. John says that the number 666, it will be on their hand and on their heads. And what this represents is incompletion. The number six in the Bible represents incompletion. It represents imperfection. Seven, completion, represents the number of God, but six represents incompletion. And what John is saying, he's taking a stab at the Antichrist. He is saying, you are wholly incomplete. You are completely imperfect in who you are. Six, six, six. Evil in your head, evil through your hands. And people must take this mark to buy or sell anything. And then we see the seven bowls judgment. And basically these angels have these golden bowls that have the wrath of God that he pours out onto the world one more time. And these, this judgment really represents, it really like parallels or not parallels, but it really kind of points back to what God did in the Exodus whenever he delivered his people from Pharaoh's hand The seven bowls include painful sores on humans, the death of everything in the sea, rivers turning into blood, the sun causing great pain, great darkness and worsening sores from the first bowls. We see rivers drying up so that the Antichrist armies can gather at Armageddon. And then the seventh bowl, we see a great earthquake that happens upon the earth. And you may be thinking, these judgments are terrible. This isn't the Jesus that I know. This isn't the Jesus that I worship. These judgments are bad. But listen, God is just in these judgments. Sin has to be punished. Revelation 16, 5, John is saying, I heard an angel saying, you are just in these judgments. How can the angel say that God is just in these judgments? Well, see, God is coming to judge every single sin ever committed. Listen, lean in for a moment. Remember, before God pours out his judgment upon our earth, he first poured out his judgment and his wrath upon his own son, so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Before he punishes our earth, his son took on all the weight of the sin of the world, all the way from Adam, all the way to the sin you committed this morning before you came to church. He took it all so that anyone who calls on his name can be saved. Listen, sin is always punished, whether at Calvary or in eternity, it is always going to be punished because God is a righteous judge. Now remember, those who call on the name of God, that's me and you, we're not going to experience any of these judgments I just read but our family, our friends, people we work with, if God comes back in our time, they're going to experience all of these things if they don't come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. My last and final point is this, is that Jesus is lion or he is lamb, he is lion or he is lamb, Lord and king, sorry. He is lamb, he is Lord, he is king. And we see towards the end of the chapters that I've been given to over, to just kind of talk about today, to over, you know, do an overview of. We see at the end of this, we see a, a great city named Babylon. And for us, we know the city of Babylon back in the Bible was a great city, it was a flourishing city. But the Babylon that you read about in Revelation is really, um, it's really represents a world encapsulated by sin. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but that kind of represents kind of our world today sin in our world. But listen, when the rapture happens, the church is not here anymore. Good is gone. The good that is here is gone. We are no longer here and it is way worse than what it is now. And we see a world system broken by sin. And the book of Revelation, it's about conflict. It's ultimately about the conflict of good and evil. And hear me, church, we know good wins. Good wins. God wins. He wins every single time. But these forces of good and evil, they begin to wage war against God. We see all of these kingdoms that raise up, the beast that raises up as another king and the antichrist, they all come together to wage war. Against God in Revelation 17:14 we see this and Pastor Stan's really going to light into it next week man when you get to see all the goodness all the good happen but it says they will wage war against the against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of Lords and he is the king of kings. I love this last part and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. That's you, that's me, that gets me excited because the Lord is the host of our armies. He's the one who leads the battle for us. And just scratching the surface of this book today, couldn't dive deep into it. I could spend a week on each chapter, but you can see that this book contains many mysteries. It contains a lot of theology, but if you can encapsulate the message of this book into one phrase, it's this church, Jesus wins, Jesus wins, Jesus wins every single time, Jesus wins, he's the sovereign king and judge, listen, I don't know church, the when and the how, I don't know the minor details of the when and the how. I don't know how everything's going to unfold. But one thing I do know is that this book of the Bible, Revelation, talks about the greatness, glory, and sovereignty of Jesus Christ more than any other book in the Bible. And I encourage you today, I encourage you this morning to read the book of Revelation. Don't be scared of it. It may be difficult. It may be demanding. But Revelation, it's the only book. Listen, it's the only book whose author promises it to be a blessing to anyone and everyone who reads it. It's not meant to scare you. It's not meant to terrify you. It's not meant to torment you. It's meant to bless you. So to go full circle from Revelations 4, worship is so important. and we're supposed to focus when you read this book on the who and the why, not the how and the when. The who is Jesus, the why is Jesus. We see Jesus in every single book of the Bible. If you read your book, the Bible points to Jesus and it reveals who Jesus is. All 66 books in the Bible reveal the character and nature of who Jesus is. Revelation is just the last book, but we've seen Jesus in Genesis. Man, we've seen Jesus in Genesis, that he was the seed that bruised the serpent's head. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus and Numbers, he's the high priest of God, making intercession for his people into the holy of holies. In Deuteronomy, we see Jesus again. He is the bearer up in the everlasting arms. In Joshua, we've seen Jesus as the captain of the host of God's armies. In Judges, we've seen Jesus as the Lord of God and the sword of Gideon, We see in Ruth that he is the perfect groom that takes on himself the perfect bride. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, Jesus is the calling out to young men into the priesthood of God. In 1st and 2nd Kings, we see Jesus that whirlwind of fire, that chariot of fire. He is the mantle of the Lord God of Elijah. He is our reigning king. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he's the Shekinah, glory of God, filling the temple of Solomon. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, he is a voice calling out to a bedraggled nation to rebuild the walls of the holy city yet again. In Esther, he is that queenly figure. He is that queenly figure that intercedes for her people that she loves so dearly. In Job, he is the patience of the pride of God who who that man said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. In Psalms, he is the good shepherd that leads us by still waters and restores our soul. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is the beginning of all wisdom. And in Songs of Come on, he is the lily of the valley. He is the fairest of the fair. He is the rose of Sharon. And Revelation tells us that again. There again in Isaiah, he is the lamb wounded for our transgressions. He was slayed for our iniquities. And by his stripes, we are healed. Come on, I see Jesus in Jeremiah. He is our righteous branch. I see Jesus in lamentation. He's our weeping prophet in Ezekiel. He is the wind coming from the four corners of the earth that revives the valley of dry bones to give praise and honor to God. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. You don't have to go through struggles by yourself. In Hosea, he is the loving and affectionate a husband who redeems a degenerate bride who ran away from her husband in Joel. He is the rain when the latter rains. That's us today. In Amos, he's our burden bearer in Obadiah. He is the mighty one to save. In Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, he is the last voice of the prophets calling out to his people. And I don't know about you, but I see him in Matthew. He is a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Come on, church, in Mark, he is the healer of the blind, the lame, and the hurt. And there in Luke, he is mighty to save us. He is the Christ at Calvary, the great physician and the resurrected Lord. In John, he is the word made flesh and makes his dwelling among us in Acts. He is the giver of power at Pentecost that caused the church to rise up and to flip the world upside down. This is the church today. Are you going to flip the world upside down? In Romans, he is the only fulfillment of the law that is able to to free us from all of our iniquities and sin. In the letters to Corinth, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians, He is your liberty. He is the only one that sets you free. He is your joy. He's the head of the church, and He is the perfect doctrine that is only good enough to get you and I through those pearly gates. And in Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, He is your faithful God. He is your truth. He is your stability. And He is your help in Hebrews. Come on. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I see Jesus in James, Peter, and John. He is the greatest power in the universe. He's the power of love. And in Revelations, we see Jesus. He is the first. He is the last. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is righteous judge. He is the root of David. He is our soon coming king. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the universe. Jesus is in every book and every book points to the soon coming Jesus that's coming back for us. Listen, the final revelation that John had wasn't a book. It was that Jesus Christ is the person and the fulfillment of everything all the way from the beginning, that in Him and through Him all things were created. Listen, Revelations has many predictions. It has many things in it, It talks about the future, but listen, church, we cannot do the future. We can only do right now. Revelation is not meant to, to be a web that we try to untangle or a puzzle that we try to solve. It's meant to be a book that shows us what to do now in the present. What are you going to do with what you now know? Are you going to share your faith? I encourage you today, church family, if you would stand up on your feet and we're gonna worship and join creation song and give God glory, honor, and praise because salvation has always caused God's people to sing. Man, when the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea, On the other side of their freedom, they just praised God. And today we can praise and worship God because He is worthy. My question for you today, is He worthy of your praise?